Welcome to Risk Never Sleeps, where we meet and get to know the people delivering patient care and protecting patient safety. I'm your host, Ed Gaudet. Welcome to the Risk Never Sleeps podcast, in which we learn about the people that are on the front lines protecting those that are delivering patient care. I'm Ed Gaudet, the host of our program, and I'm pleased to be joined today by Maria Sexton, the CEO at University Medical Center of Southern Nevada. Maria, hey. how are you today? Very well, thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to see you. Good to see you. So tell us about your current role and your current organization. Sure. So I work as a CIO, as you mentioned, for University Medical Center of Southern Nevada. I like to say locally and lovingly known as UMC. We have a very long name, but UMC. We've been around for a very long time, over 90 years in one form or another. We are the state's only county hospital. We're here in Clark County, which is a very large county in Southern Nevada. It encompasses the Strip in Las Vegas. So UMC is very unique. Actually, we have the state's only level one trauma department. We have the state's only center for transplantation, the state's only burn care center. Um, we're a very large hospital. We've got clinics around the valley as well. So we have outpatient as well as acute care. In my role as the CIO, I oversee all technology service delivery. That includes our electronic health record system. We are a very proud client of Epic, which is one of the largest electronic health record systems in the world. So we oversee that and all the traditional technology, cybersecurity, you name it. If it's technology related, it comes out of our division and I oversee that as the CIO. Excellent. And how did you get into IT and, and healthcare? Healthcare accidentally, actually, and probably IT accidentally too. I got into health, into IT, actually, general IT, probably about, gosh, it's probably about 27 years ago now. I was working, I jokingly say, as a secretary. I mean, I was a secretary, but almost 30 years ago, that's what they called them, right? There were no fancy names like admin assistant and exec assistant and all those kinds. They were secretaries. And I was working as a secretary for the American Medical Association in yeah. Chicago, where I'm from. And I needed to get into something more lucrative. My first husband and I had separated and the fantastic father is very much involved with our three daughters. But I said, I probably need something more lucrative. I went to talk to the people that run our network at the AMA and I asked them what I should do. And they said, you have zero experience because you're a secretary. So they recommended I go and get a certification. I was working during the day. I went to New Horizons at oh, night. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Seven, I registered, I got a $7,000 loan from the bank. I got into the program, seven classes, seven certification exams, and I graduated in six months as a certified network engineer. And I was like, yay, me. And I kept talking to the <laughs> about getting on the help desk. And then somebody said to me, why did you get a network certification? Don't you know everyone's going to Microsoft? This is 96 now, right? That's probably good information to have had six months and $7,000 ago. Did not have that. So I went right back to New Horizons, another $7,000 loan, and I registered for the Microsoft program. Another six classes, another six tests. In a year, I was a certified network engineer, Microsoft certified systems engineer. All paper, no, no experience. In any case, I think the director of IT finally felt, you know, sorry for me and put me on the help desk there at the AM. At <laughs> okay. the point of my career in IT, Shortly after that, my then husband and I decided to move to Las Vegas and I had applied for help desk jobs because that's what I was doing. I went to an interview here in Las Vegas and I pull up and a very nice gentleman kind of walks out in full uniform, which holding some sort of a long gun, I don't know, an AK of some sort. And I thought, where did I land? But it turned out that I was at the Department of Energy National oh. New Security Administration facility. After they searched me in the car and all that, I... <laughs> 
applied and I talked to the hiring manager and he took my application and he crossed off help desk and he put netware engineer, system engineer. And I ended up interviewing with the systems and network team. And I said, I have no experience. I mean, I obviously have some sort of an aptitude for technology. I passed 13 certification tests and they took pity and they hired me. Um, And that was really my start in tech. And very shortly after that, somebody had asked, does anybody want to learn security? I'm working on firewalls and intrusion Mm. and prevention systems. And that was my start in security. So I like to think I was just the right place at the right time. I mean, my career started when the internet was born. So it was just the right time to get into technology. And now look at security. It's a full-fledged industry all its own with many subspecialties. And then getting into healthcare IT, same kind of a thing. I'd been doing security and IT for a long time. I saw a posting for an information security officer here at UMC. That was back in 2008. I joined the company, moved up to director of IT, left, went Mm. back for a few years, I worked for Walgreens and Kellogg's and Advocate Healthcare out there and some great companies. And then in 2015, we were blessed with our first grandchild. Moved and back. I thought, I thought I could be a grandmother <laughs> a thousand miles away. And then I looked at her. She was two weeks old. When oh, yeah. It was like, honey, get, start looking for a job in Las Vegas. We are going back. Even back in 2016, at that point, I had yeah. started MGM Resorts as um, mm-hmm. Director of IP Compliance but was always bird-dogging UMC. I wanted to get back in, and it was like deja vu. The ISO at the time was retiring. I came back in as the ISO. It was five and a half years ago. Became director of IT and then the CIO about three and a half years ago. So nice. pretty much add your standard IT. That's, that's I just the healthcare <laughs> IT story. <laughs> nothing standard about that. I love it. It's great. What a great that's story. Been a bit of it all over, but it's been wonderful. Given your background, what's different about healthcare? Like you've been in a number of different industries and organizations, and you keep coming back to healthcare. What's different about healthcare? And and I've worked for some great companies, like I said, Kellogg's, Walgreens, Deloitte as an auditor. I've worked at MGM, and they all have their client or their patron or their customer, whoever it is. For me, healthcare is special because of who we serve. I'm always reminded of what we do. And here at UMC, we really care for and serve patients who really have nowhere else to go. And so there's just, we are so fortunate in technology and in cybersecurity. We can do what we do for any company, any industry, anywhere in the world. We're really blessed in that sense. Mm -hmm. Where you choose to bring your contributions, your gifts, is really is very much a personal story. Even if that is that you're bringing that to an organization where maybe the compensation is a little higher, that's okay. I mean, there's no judgment. For me, though, doing this long, healthcare is really special because of who we serve. These are people that are coming to UMC or any other healthcare organization, sometimes at the lowest point in their lives. And even though we're not in direct patient care in IT, what I say to my team all the time is we stand right behind every nurse, every radiology tag, every surgical tag, every EVS worker, everyone. We're right behind them because they couldn't do what they do for our patients without technology. And so there's just a UMC and, and healthcare is mission driven. We're not the mm-hmm. only industry, but it's very mission driven. Yeah. And it's important to see what technology can do to improve outcomes and maybe and really in some cases change people's lives. So that's I, I love that. important to me. Yeah, that's yeah why I love I, that. I love that shared mission too. It's so unique in healthcare. You don't really get a chance to see that in other industries. 100%. 100%. We do that all the time. We see the patients. We're across the street from the hospital, but we'll see our patients, new moms, but a homeless person that, again, is just seeking some sort mm-hmm. of help, nowhere else to go. And, come. and that's just incredibly rewarding. The work is hard enough, no matter where you go. But if you could take that little bit of fulfillment home, it makes it all worth it. As you look out over the next 12 to 24 months, what are your top 
three or five priorities or initiatives? Here at the mm. in, at yeah. we're going through some major changes. We ha- we were the victims, and this is public, so I'm not releasing anything that is already known. We were the victims of a ransomware attack about two and a half years ago, kind of at the height of COVID, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, like many healthcare organizations, and we were hit, and thank God it did not impact our patient care. We were still delivering patient care, but it did impact us, and so we had a lot of work to do. So the last two years have really been a lot in shoring up our security capability. I like to say that we had a lot of things on our security roadmap, and our adversaries just helped accelerate that plan for us. <laughs> and hey, gotta find the silver lining in there somewhere, and that's you have to. Yeah, you do. Otherwise, you just it's just crying day after day. That's right. That. We don't want to do that. <laughs> Continuing to work in security, just as every organization is, we are most certainly looking at artificial intelligence. I mean, that is everywhere now. That is every vendor we talk to has an AI component to their technology. But we know that probably more than any other industry, AI holds the most promise for healthcare. Timing is critical. And anything that we can get to a diagnosis, a protocol is something faster with a higher level of efficacy, just going to help the patient. So AI, we're certainly looking into that. And Epic has a great partnership with Microsoft and those two of our biggest partners. So Mm -hmm. the right place, it all feels right, like everything is converging at the right time. So certainly AI. Um, We are working on some fundamental things, upgrades to our infrastructure, upgrades to our compute and storage. So it's kind of a balance of some innovative things that we're doing as well as, you know, just making sure the foundation of our technology services is kept up to date, right? Just more compute and storage and process power. That's a busy time for us, mm -hmm. right? As it relates to AI, are you doing anything from a governance perspective differently? So that's an interesting one. I, I have a lot of peers here in the Las Vegas Valley. It's a very close group of CIOs and CISOs. Everyone knows everyone. We're a, like, kind of like to consider each other sort of our Gartner group, if you will. We mm-hmm. talk to each other. And I had reached out to all of them. And this is the big casinos and all the different industries here and said, hey, does anybody know of an AI working group? I don't need more information about the technology. Mm. It's an easy part. It's the governance, that's our, the governance and the compliance exactly. people and all of that. And everybody said, no, I don't know of one, but if you started something, we would be, we'd be a part of that. And I was like, okay. So as a matter of fact, we actually had our first sort of working group meeting this week. Oh. Talking about the governance. Yeah, it's Wednesday, as a matter of fact, Wednesday evening, just to start talking about what have people done. I've heard some people have put into place a new sort of a rules or a sort of a terms of use behavior type mm-hmm. hook and how to use AI. Some have just kind of used what they currently have and said AI is a part of that. Some organizations are running with hair on fire into AI because it's helping their industry. Others are backing up and kind of saying, wait a minute, we have to understand better. So there's just so much information coming out about it, whether it comes from the federal government, from the EU, from all of our vendors. Um, So governance is probably the number one thing we're trying to figure out. And for me here, like I said, vendors are reaching out directly to stakeholders, whether it be cardiology, radiology, pharmacy, all of those groups talking directly to them, selling them on these AI products that can help in their particular division or their service line. And what I'm asking is, please just route them through IT because we Mm. really understand what are we talking about here? So it's good. I'm excited. I think we're all excited, but we all understand governance has got to be the... It's even things as simple as, do we have to notify our patients that we're using AI-based? Does the consent change now? I don't know. 
right? Those are our legal asks. And I said, I don't know. Are we supposed to tell, as a patient, would you want to know that? I mean, AI doesn't make a decision for you, but it's certainly informing the decision made by the healthcare provider. So lots of questions, I think, certainly. Yeah, I'm just taking a note here. We, I had a webinar last week with the American Hospital Association on this topic. That's and right. I'll send you the replay. I had three hospitals or actually two hospitals on with another CISO talk about uh, what they're doing from an AI governance perspective. So I'll send you the replay. And if, if it's helpful, that'd be great. If that's it's not, helpful. that's okay. No, yeah. get, we got to start somewhere. So if you have somebody who's yeah. kind of not or just has something to recommend, I mean, it's, we've got to start somewhere. There's just too much information right now without enough like tangible, tactical information on what to do. Everybody just keeps saying, oh my gosh, AI. But okay, well, let's get past the screaming. Let's call it. <laughs> what do we want to do? So that's where yeah. we're no, That's great. Last couple of years have been really difficult for many. Obviously, we lived through a pandemic. What are you most proud of personally and professionally? I would have to say professionally. I mean, personally, I kind of put that one to the side. So it's interesting that you mentioned that. When the pandemic hit, we have no remote work here at UMC. Everybody works on site. Mm-hmm. And so we got in the call and said, okay, the governor has a stay-at-home order, so we've got to send 400 people to work from home. And I thought that was going to be the hardest thing we were going to have to solve. I probably should have relished that product, that problem <laughs> a little longer than I did, because it just got incredibly and exponentially harder than that. The thing I'm the most proud of, though, is no matter what the problem was presented to the IT division, we solved it. These were things like setting up mobile testing facilities in the parking garage of one mm. of our, the casinos were closed. It's 115 degrees outside. We're setting up workstation printers so that people could come through and get their testing done. And this was in moments notice, set it up here, set it up there, set it up here, set up a website so we can track test. I mean, no matter how, now I get it, but then they seemed outlandish. What are you? But the team, it did not matter. I can't think of one time the team did not stand up and say, we can solve that problem. I I mean, if I think about it now, I I get emotional. I'm a crier. I just, when I think about what the team did, and we were here every single day, there was no, not, please take this. I'm not saying anything about those who did get hazard pay or maybe different type of pay every single day. And yes, we were not frontline workers, but we were standing behind those frontline workers. No one could have done what they did without technology standing behind them. And so I think about that still. And just this team exceeded all expectations. They just hit grand slam after grand slam on the baseball person every single day. And so no, no remote at this point then? Everybody's on, on screen. We probably even during the pandemic all in probably had maybe three to four weeks of remote work as the governor gave a stay at home order. But that's it. No, we have no remote work. We are 100% on site. Now, 90% of our workforce is on site because, again, they're in direct patient care. They can't work at home. And our CEO, who's really a wonderful person, he says, you know what? This is how we support the organization. We're here working with them too. So we do. So no, we're not remote at all. But that's probably the proudest that I've been. Just everybody coming to work every single day and just doing what needed to get done for UMC. And we had a tremendous support for the community. We helped all of the casinos get back on track and open up and more than a million tests done. And But that's kind of who we are. UMC is kind of the community hospital. That's great. Outside of healthcare and IT, what are you most passionate about? What would you be doing if you weren't doing this job? Time. And I do think about that too. Like I'll look up at the stars and I'll tell my husband, I should have gone into astronomy. Or <laughs> I should have been, I've gone into meteorology and he's in. And technology, I'm in technology, but it's really not a passion. He's a CIO and he loves technology. I sometimes think I'm like, oh, I just want to old fashioned things and stuff. I suppose, I don't know, maybe if I was not in technology, maybe I'd be a history professor. 
I hope, yeah, history is just always very interesting for me and looking back at things we've done and so probably that. But American Tim history or world history? Yes. Well, I think American history, although I have to share a quick thing. So I, I was born in England and I moved to the U.S. in 73. So I've been here 50 years. My goodness, I've been here, you know, a long time. <laughs> I remember when I first moved here and I would go to history classes. I'm in fifth grade, fourth grade, and they talk about the the Revolutionary War, right? Those terrible British. And wow. the red, well, like, no, like my, my allegiances were split. I was like, well, should I, do I raise my hand? They're not that bad. They were, you know, it was just what I reminisce about that. But yes, probably U.S. history. Right. Be, yeah, so. That's great. That's great. If you could go back to, an, to your 20-year-old self, what would you tell her? I would probably, oh goodness, I would probably say, maybe to, to make more plans. And I say that in a sense that, so I grew up in a very traditional Italian household. So I never really had the, the thought that I wasn't going to get married and have children and all of that. It was just sort of an expectation. And that's fine. I think we all grew up in maybe certain households and that was it. I probably though say to my 20 year old self, you probably don't have to have to follow those. Be thinking more about what there might be out there. But mm. I daughters and they're all grown now. We have seven grandchildren. Oh, and- wow. Congratulations. Thank you. I tell them all the time, it's like anything is possible. We're just an airplane ride away. So it took me a little later in life to leave Chicago and do some other things. Mm. But and probably say to my 20-year-old self, there's so much out there. Like, yeah. like here's some other things. And maybe you'll come back to marriage and kids too. That's okay. Again, this is no judgment. It's just that I really didn't think beyond that. And so yeah. now... Think big. Think big at 20 years. <laughs> possible. There's just so many things out there. So I'd probably tell myself that. Yeah. I have three daughters as well, but not seven grandchildren. We don't have any yet. So we're waiting though. Wonderful. (laughs) I know. We're looking forward to it. What is the hardest lesson you've had to learn in your career? The one that probably comes to mind is that you can't lead and manage people all in the same way. I remember that as a lesson. Like I was new to leadership and management. Um, I'd gotten an opportunity. It's probably my first management real management position. And I remember approaching it in a way where just everybody um, was being managed the same way. I wasn't taking the time to get to know who they were and maybe what motivated them, what they liked, what they were good at, what they were good at, maybe what they were not good at. And so that we could build the most effective team. It was sort of a everything. I guess everybody was a ham, a nail, right? And I was the hammer. And that went over like a lead balloon as the saying goes. So that was a hard lesson, but I'm very introspective. I try to learn from everything that I'm doing. That works. That didn't work. I try to do that. And I looked at that and kind of took that and I could just see the reactions were not positive ones. So it wasn't like a sort of just an individual. I could see they weren't happy in terms of the way I was leading them. That's probably the hardest lesson. And I've been in a leadership for a long time now, and that's something I really appreciate. Empathy, understanding individuals, really what makes them tick. I mean, how can we build just the most effective teams? And they're happy to come to work doing what they like to do. They don't always get to do what they like to do, but mm. if we try and pepper that in, then they just feel better. I love that. I love that. Well, this is the Risk Never Sleeps podcast, so I'd have to ask you this question. What is the riskiest thing you've ever done? So the riskiest <laughs> thing I've ever done, probably some different things. I'll tell you one that I recently did, though, and I don't know that you think it's risky, but I kind of thought it too. I, I just finished my MBA. So it was a risk in this. I, for a long time, had been thinking about getting my MBA. And it was really, it was more of a personal quest than anything else. I, I don't know if it'll change anything in my career, but I'd been toying for, with the idea for a long time. And I think I finally just said, you know what? I really just need to get it done. And I think the risk that risk aspect for me is the the time it took. You're going to school, even at this age and this mm. 
I would see time away from the family, time away from my husband, time away from other things that kind of having to focus on getting it done. And so it was one that I think about a risk in terms of I took the risk. There's no real tangible reward other than the personal fulfillment. Very important. And I got it done in less than five months. I mean, I basically came to work and then went home and did school work and did all that. So I think about that again, just from the, the risk of the is not meant to be morbid, so I don't want to say it this way, but I always feel like I probably consumed more time than I have left to get to a certain age. And so I use my time in a way that I really want to now with my grandchildren, with my husband doing things I really want to do. Time is so precious. And so I kind of think about it in that way. Like I took five or six months out to do this and I kind of think about it. Yeah, nothing morbid about that. There's this adage that time's wasted on youth, right? (laughs) <laughs> all being oh, true. And I talk to my daughters and all the time now because they just have a hard time in their lives with their young the young children and that. But I would say that. I mean, there's been career risks that I've taken, tried different jobs and done different things and that. But that was just one where I was like, oh, is it worth it? But it, I finished it and I'm going to have my commencement next May. Oh, congrats. That's great. I'm excited. So was yeah. there, it was- It'd probably give you some insight into dealing with the business that you may not have had prior to. You couldn't be more spot on. Exactly. When I looked at you on my graduate degree, I'm like, I'm not doing it in IT or in cybersecurity mm. that I'm the guru here, but I, I probably have done quite a bit in my career in that. Yeah. This side was definitely something that I needed to know. And I've been saying something for a while now, too. In IT and security, we tend to do ourselves a disservice because we say things like it's IT and the business. IT is not part of the business, as if any business today can't run on tech without technology. So I'm like, we got to stop saying that. We are part of the business. I Now I think of myself as a business leader with a specialty in technology, not a technology leader. And I think we have to think of ourselves that way. Just we've got to be solving business problems, not technology problems. We yeah, I know that's... Technology, through technology. That's so insightful. And that's a great way to, to look at those technology. Yeah. It's a subtle, but it's important. Yeah, I agree 100%. Any last uh, advice to cyber uh, professionals that may be just entering into this industry? Absolutely. And I get asked this a lot. It's tough. So remember I said back when I got started, this was 1996. And so security wasn't even a thing. Security was being done by network and systems people. It was good timing. I got in good timing. And then the advice I give people even today is, Put your hand up and get into things that you might not be comfortable with. So maybe you're not doing security today, but maybe there's an opportunity to do that. It's scary, but put yourself out there. I think certifications are important. I have a lot of certifications. Something has got to show a competency and not a CISSP. You're not going to even get it if you don't have the experience. And that's a high level one. But a security plus a CISA, Certified Information Systems Auditor. That's a great certification. Yeah, exactly. And they're less expensive too. I also tell people too, don't forget if you're working on a whole network, yes, it's not for a company, but you obviously are doing the work. So make sure if you're interviewing or telling someone, say, you know what? No, I've not done this in a professional setting, but I have a a home network of four computers and I put in a firewall or I put, sometimes I think our candidates don't think about that. But if somebody's telling me that, it's telling me a couple of things. One, they have a competency. Two, they have the initiative. And three, they're doing the work. Sure, in the in the work setting, it's it's a larger environment, but they're doing the work. And then I think the last one, and I do a lot of speaking at like UNLV's, our university here in the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and I sit on a couple of advisory boards there. And so I'll speak to graduate students in cybersecurity and they'll say, okay, Maria, now what do I do? I have this graduate degree. And I'll tell them, you're probably going to start at the bottom. 
And that's okay. You're not going to come in and be a threat hunter. You don't even know what you're looking for. You just don't have the experience. So that's okay, though. That willingness to come in, I mean, you obviously have an aptitude, but the willingness to come in and start at a lower level. And I talk to a lot of people that want to come into security, and I advise them, you know, the higher education is great. Get that certification so you put in the door and also learn traditional IT. And I grew up in IT, so security was an extension of that. If you don't understand how bits and bytes go across the network, you're going to be, you're going to be hard pressed to figure out how to secure it. So you do have to have some understanding of IT. And that's where I think the programs we have in the universities are wonderful. But if they're only teaching you cyber, you're missing a lot of basic technology information. Yeah, no, great advice. Thank you. We've been uh, speaking with Maria Sexton, the CIO at University Medical Center of Southern Nevada. This is Ed Gaudet coming to you from the Risk Never Sleeps podcast. And if you're on the front lines in healthcare, delivering patient care, remember to stay vigilant because risk never sleeps. Thanks for listening to Risk Never Sleeps. For the show notes, resources, and more information on how to transform the protection of patient safety, visit us at sensinet.com. That's C-E-N-S-I-N-E-T.com. I'm your host, Ed Gaudet. And until next time, stay vigilant because risk never sleeps.